0: Welcome to the International Collective of Female Cinematographers podcast, where every week we'll be talking to a different cinematographer and listening to their stories as they navigate the filmmaking world, sharing secrets and experiences to empower our community. The ICFC is a collective of professional female cinematographers from around the world who provide each other with community support and industry advocacy.
1: We are your hosts, Amelia and Akina. And today we're so excited to welcome Bianca Halpern. We will be discussing Bianca's start in Brazil, her experience shooting live music shows, and how she ended up starting and owning her own camera rental house in Los Angeles.
2: Welcome, Bianca. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. The pleasure to be here.
1: Awesome. So uh, let's start out. Can you tell us how, you, how did you start out as a filmmaker and how did you become a DP? How did that journey happen for you?
2: So I started as a filmmaker when I was in college. I was going to college in Brazil for advertising and marketing. And I think it was on my second year. Some of my friends started getting jobs and I was like, oh, I want to have a job. And then my friend got a job in this website that used to do like celebrity news in Brazil And they were just starting and they were connected to a really big radio station, the website. And then she was like, yeah, they're hiring. I think there's another position if you want to go interview. And then I was like, sure. And then I got the job. And then on my first day, they were like, oh, we don't really know yet which area you're going to work. But here, this first week, you can just start getting some photos for the homepage because I had like some graphic design background, like basic Photoshop stuff. (laughs) So I was doing that for a week. And then on the second week, the editor-in-chief called me and he's like, well, I wasn't sure like what you were going to do, but there's an opportunity now. We're doing this whole new online news recording and we're working with a third-party production company, but we need our point person here and maybe you could do that. He's like, sure. So I became the producer, the in-house producer for this show which was a news show. So I had to find the news, find clothes for the presenters. And then I got to learn, you know, this production company, how they were shooting. We would shoot in their production company. They had a small green screen. They had a camera. They had a teleprompter. So I was the, tele- I was the producer. I was the teleprompter girl. And after six months, the production company actually hired me So I went from working for the website to working for the production company. And then when I started at the production company, then they taught me how to use a video camera. I think at that time they had the Canon GL200. It was like, and they would shoot a lot of like music concerts. So I started doing a bit of that. I also learned how to do editing with them a little bit of After Effects, which it was fun. And at the time I was still in college, but my college was at night. And I remember just really loving to go to work and just kind of going to college whenever there was time. (laughs) Uh, But I managed to graduate. And when I graduated college, I really wanted to dive into more into the filmmaking world because that's what I was more interested on. So, I ended up coming to LA to do the New York Film Academy, which back mm-hmm. then it was a way smaller program. Like, I think now it's a master's, but it was just filmmaking. And I remember being in a class with a bunch of people that were like, oh, I know I wanted to be a filmmaker since I was five. And I was just like, hi, my name is Bianca. Help me with my English. Because it's French. <laughs> you know? And so I learned a lot. And I think it was like an eight month course, and I did a lot of making off for people. I did a lot of producing. I directed my own short, learned a little bit of cinematography, but it wasn't the focus. And then after that program, I got a job in a feature film as production assistant from the first day, like from the office. And during that feature film, I realized that what I wanted to know more was cinematography, but it was the part that I didn't really have the knowledge. And a lot of the crew from the crew from that feature was from Chapman University and they were all recent grads from the cinematography program. And you are like, you should apply to Chapman, you should apply. So then I applied and I got into the Chapman MFA. And, and we were the first year, I was in the first year of the conservatory where you had to choose your major, which was fortunate to me because it was only 70 piece for 21 directors only wow. because they didn't really know how to do it and Bill Jill was my mentor. I really learned like what a T-stop, what an F-stop was there, you know, because before mm-hmm. I was pretty much doing videography, I feel like. And then it kind of, you know, then I fell in love with really grad school, I think was the first time where I stepped in a class and I'm like, yes, I really like this. You know, I was never really the A-list student through college or through high school or middle school. It was just kind of like going, you know. But in grad school, cinematography, I really wanted to learn everything. And I worked in everyone's movies, second years, third years. I, You know, because I was an international student then, I didn't really have another life here. And Mm -hmm. it was in Orange County. So all I did was working in everyone else's film. I would take one weekend off every year, which was to go to Coachella. But (laughs) other than that, I was working (laughs) in everyone else's film. So I made a lot of connections and learned a lot. You know, gaffing, first ACing, second ACing, and shooting our director's projects, which we ended up doing a lot (laughs) of them because there were way many more directors than DPs. Mm -hmm. And then I graduated from grad school in '07. Back then, you know, Bill, my mentor, there were a lot of international students in our class. And they were, he suggested we go back home because it would be big value at home. But, you know, we all wanted to go to Hollywood. And that was everyone's dreams. Yeah. So I did a little bit of that. I moved to L.A. Um, I worked for a year freelancing. I think my first job out of film school was shooting a USC thesis, which was really great. It was right when the red camera was coming out. So I graduated mm-hmm. of the time where, you know, we learned in film, but then the red camera came out and we all kind of had to readapt. So it was the very beginning of the red one camera. So I shot some shorts, I shot a pilot. I mean I would get jobs out of Mandy, out of Craigslist. I remember gassing an you know, all-women feature film back then in seven wow. or oh8 so oh. that was really cool.
1: Yeah,
2: I was doing some camera assisting. I even did some production. I was just throwing myself out there, honestly, and but was able to shoot. But then the recession was, you know, 2009, and I really wasn't really getting jobs suddenly. And I just really couldn't support myself here. And I'm like, well, you know, I want to be independent. So I decided to move back to Brazil, moved mm-hmm. back with my dad and then started working as a DP in, in Brazil. And, you know, I talked to some of DPs the back then. I was like, well, like, what route do you recommend? Should I be a scene? Should I be the DP? And what they said, are you shooting right now? I was like, yeah, you know, smaller jobs. And they recommended if you're shooting, keep shooting, you know, mm-hmm even though it's not the project in really world right now, it will eventually get there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So I was fully shooting in Brazil from, Not a, I did a couple of commercials, but like some reality shows, not like big realities, more like crew in a van following someone. Um, I did a couple of like band battles, uh, Sony TV show called Breakout Brazil, it was like five, like a studio show, which was fun. Not that much narrative. And it just kind of happened to be like that. It wasn't really a choice. I feel like one thing looking back that I don't think I had was like a focus of which path in cinematography I wanted to go. So I just was doing whatever came up. And then suddenly one of my directors had a live concert, multi-camera, and he realized that the lighting designers were doing the cinematography for it. And I was like, well... I actually have a director of photography that I want to bring on so we could shoot with cinematic lenses. And we did this one live concert with 10 cameras and non lenses. And then he started getting all the live concerts of like the pop Brazilian artists. So we did Mm -hmm. together like 10 to 12 big live concerts, some of them up to like 14 cameras. Our dream was to do one with uh, with all Alexas and we did it. Because normally it would be Mm -hmm. stunning F55s. (laughs) With yeah. <laughs> but we did one with alexas it was great so i started doing a lot of these live concerts i ended up doing one short film there was a narrative that was really great that i ended up getting an award for a short on a short film festival in brazil that was really great but i was mainly in the music world at the end <laughs> of my brazilian stay because then like six or seven years into my Brazilian career, I had the opportunity to open a business. And as I started to think about that, uh, and also with, you know, the my husband also gave the idea, then I got married, you know, and my husband was like, well, you know, you have all the contacts in LA, why not there? Because I never really felt as safe as, as opening a business in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And then looking at then, I was like already eight years in Brazil and I was kind of, you know, the industry standard is here. And that's what I learned here. And when you go to a place that is not the industry hub, you start losing a bit of your standards. Mm -hmm. So we decided to move back to L.A. and I decided to open a rental house because when I became a mom, And also, as when I was in Brazil shooting, I always realized that the guys always had better gear, better budgets. So I wanted to open a place that I wish it had been around for me.
0: Is that because you think that they don't believe that women DPs are as good as the men?
2: Yes. And this was, you know, back then. I think now the story has changed. A lot? Like. (laughs) Seven years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think now that people are looking for women to be their clients, but yes, I think because also we as women were not really geared to ask for as much stuff. I think some of us are better trained on doing that. Mm-hmm. I certainly, I'm different now. I'm like 41, but on my even on my 30s, I wasn't really vocal about asking things. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of a people's pleaser. And I think a lot of us are like that because mm-hmm. we were afraid that, that, you know, oh, this is my chance. Like, I can't ask yeah. much. If not, you're going to get that guy because there's so many guys and they're like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I know there's some women that, you know, from a young age are a bit more, they know what they want to ask for. But I think, I don't know if it's a biological thing, you know, but. Mm-hmm. I was taught maybe not to ask for much and I wanted to ease the producers and, but I learned, I learned a lot and, you know, and there were mistakes and there were producers that didn't want to rent trucks and only want to have a car. And then I ended up with not enough light, you know, and then you learn, Mm -hmm. you learn. But, you know, I realized that, and, but still up until now, like I feel in Brazil, they're still fighting. We're still fighting for women to be in better TV shows. Mm -hmm. Like they're, Amazon, Netflix, they're really big in Brazil now, but the bigger shows are still being shot by men. You know, I think in the U.S. we're a little bit more advanced in everything. You know, even when I was pregnant, like people totally stopped calling me for work. They wouldn't let me carry a camera. I'm like, I'm fine, guys. And then when I had the idea to open a rental house, which is called b Cine, and we're here in Cover City, California, I started doing a lot of research and I saw so many women holding a camera pregnant here in the U.S. You know, it was right when, like, Rachel Morrison was pregnant, when, you know, all these women that are rocking out there and just a bit more normal here, I think, that's still there. So then I moved back to L.A. in 2017. Mm -hmm. I opened Bicini, and now we're five, six years in, like five years in since we had employees, but six years in since we rented our first first lens. And so my cinematography career has kind of slowed down since then because it just got really busy. But like the first year, 2018, I kind of, when I was living here in LA and opening Bissini, I still flew back to Brazil to do a job with a director that she wanted a woman DP and she wasn't really comfortable with the women that we're shooting at in Brazil, I think now she, you know, would have many more options because I think people are coming up over there as well. And then now I mostly run the rental house. I shot last year, you know, a couple of interviews for the UN, but definitely now I kind of transitioned my career to be a business owner and facilitate the life of the cinematographers
1: going back to the decision to go back to Brazil and actually Bill Dill's advice I actually got similar advice from a mentor of mine when I graduated if I my parents live in Ecuador so mm-hmm. you're like actually you should go back and you know try to contribute to the cinema sca- landscape back in Latin yeah. America what Do you feel about that advice, having in a way taken it because you did go back to Brazil for different reasons, but how do you feel that did you contribute? Did you feel that was good advice? Did you feel that is something that we should be doing if you come from an international background?
2: I did feel... You know, in the beginning, there was that oh, like she just recently arrived from Hollywood. I definitely had some opportunities because of that. Like I got mm-hmm. to work with Paulo which was super talented commercial director. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago. But I was definitely given some opportunities. But it was <laughs> still like the women behind the camera. It was still like a hard thing to cross over producer's mm-hmm. mind, mm-hmm. and still. Up to this day, some producers, when they call me and actually they go on my profile and they see ICFC and they're like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was such a thing. We're still fighting for bringing women behind the camera here in Brazil. But I definitely think back then it was a bit tough. But when I went back in 2018 to shoot this project, I did work That she was like, wow, like if you were here, like we would like bring you up so much because you have your Mm -hmm. way, your professionalism, but also your understanding and your patience. Mm -hmm. We don't see a lot of that here. Uh, But then, you know, at that point, I was already here and my goal was to be here in the U.S. So it's tricky because I think every international student also moves out of their country because of a better life. You know, I ended up. Also moving back here with my kid and my husband because we wanted a better life. We want to walk on the street without fear of being yeah. robbed, which, you know, my sisters did only walk with their cell phones or home. And here I walk my dog at night by myself and I feel fine. So there's those other reasons of like a better life. But yes, I do think, you know, even up until now, You know, I'm like, oh, what if there is a Bicini in Brazil, you know, so I could also bring up the people there, you know, maybe one day. But we also try to help the Brazilian and Latinas in general, cinematographers Mm -hmm. that are here. So you're still bringing up your country in a way, but outside of your country. And it's tricky because... I don't know. It's like the lifestyle, right? We also choose to be here, I think, because of the lifestyle. And sometimes it's hard to compare the projects, you know, that you could be here versus the projects that you could be there. But, you know, LA, there's a lot of competition. So maybe you could be doing something great in your own country because of the lack of people that are as great as you so maybe trying for you know i'm glad actually that i had those years there as a cinematographer to understand how the brazilian industry is Mm -hmm. because before i didn't really have that understanding and then you get to kind of have an idea of how things run differently in different countries
1: yeah absolutely yeah it's the whole idea i was told like you could be a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a smaller pond and yeah there's pros and cons to weigh on that for sure yeah and i think Uh, those
2: countries are now getting bigger projects right yeah yeah. so there's that opportunity yeah
1: need to hire an underwater cinematographer in the Caribbean or a drone certified cinematographer in South America? How about a Mandarin speaking cinematographer that can work in Europe? We gotcha. Our comprehensive database of over 300 members is searchable by location, language, specialties, affiliations, and genre slash categories. Visit our site now and find your next superstar collaborator at icscfilm.com. And going back to B-CINE, your bio mentions that you aim to conciliate family and filming in the industry by spe- specifically providing childcare at B-CINE and committed to facilitating a balance for all. Oh, you've touched a little bit on this, but how does being a mom, being part of a family really affect the way you run your business? And why is that unique right now?
2: Well, you know, when when I was still in Brazil and I had a kid and the first job that I took, my baby was three months. At that time, I had to say no to many jobs in the first three months, which was kind of heartbreaking because one was a feature film, you know, and the other one was a short film of this woman director I've always wanted to work with. But it was a travel show. And, you know, my baby was a month. So it was also maybe the timing, you know, for me on the projects there. But then I took a live concert job because that was kind of easy to do with a baby. You know, I could breastfeed all day and then during the prepping and the lighting and then during the concert, he will be sleeping. So on my first day of the prep, when I had a kid, I went to the prep and I had a person at home who to help me because my husband was at work as well. And then the prep went long, you know, like it always does. So then I called Jose and I'm like, Hosey, I need to stay here. It's like, oh, I gotta go. I also have a kid at home that I need to pick up from school. And then I'm realized, well, wow, how are parents really doing this? So then I brought this idea with me to be Cine so then the parents could bring their kids when they are here to either facilitate, you know, a lot of the times on the prep you're not really making money. So like hiring a babysitter might be hard. Or mm-hmm. if you're doing a travel job, then, you know, the prep day is the only day that you have to be with your child. But you got to be at the rental house. You know, a lot of mm-hmm. the times that's what happens too. Like if you're mm-hmm. traveling around and your kid is staying here, then at least on the prep day, you don't need to make the choice. Like I feel like the generation older than us, they had to make a choice between filmmaking and family. Yeah. Think you see the older women, cinematographers, they don't really... You didn't really have a choice to have a family. Yeah. And I think our generation is changing that and showing that you can do both, even though if it's hard, you can do. So the idea is to facilitate that. So if you want to come to the prep and bring your baby and breastfeed, no one's going to look at you because you're breastfeeding. I mean, they might look and be inspired, but not, you know, <laughs> oh my gosh, a boob. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's for that. It's mostly... So that women and men don't need to choose between filmmaking or parenting, because we know that's hard. I mean, both are high demand jobs, right? Full time jobs. You know, if people need to bring their kids here during their preps, we have a kid's room. If you need a babysitter, we can have someone. Sometimes the kid is just here for a couple of hours and then, you know, we play with them. Sometimes if it's a longer time, then we have someone come in to be with them. And yeah, so far we've had even camera assistants that came here before they became parents. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're giving me hope. You know, just to give courage and not be so prohibitive and be a place where like kids cannot go or even like puppies too, you know, dogs. A lot of filmmakers also choose not to have dogs because of the amount of hours that you're gonna be gone yeah so also on the prep day if you need to bring your dog that's fine because you know everyone wants to have a life too and I feel like when I was a freelancer I didn't really have a life honestly I was just Mm -hmm. go 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 and it was crazy I loved it though I back then I loved not having a Monday to Friday situation but now I thrive on The Monday to Friday. Of course, there's always some emailing Saturday, Sunday mornings and events, but I enjoy having a structure and we want to offer this structure to people who are out there in the crazy freelance lifestyle.
1: I think you touched a little bit on this, but can you expand on why you decided to open a rental house? And also, because also b is unique in the sense that, and like, correct me if I'm wrong, it's still the only woman owned rental house in Los Angeles, right?
2: Yeah, I think I recently realized that Burns and Sawyers is owned by their employees, actually. Hmm. And Maria Acevedo is one of the owners. Uh, But I guess fully owned, we are the only woman owned. But yeah, Maria Acevedo, Burns and Sawyers, they all own Burns, which is an employee company. Yeah. It's very unique for this industry as well. I think the fact, you know, and most importantly, it's not like, oh, I'm moving woman and but the environment ends up being different, right? Mm-hmm. And because when I opened, I didn't have any rental house experience. So I think because the way the environment ends up being, people are not afraid to ask questions. Because when mm-hmm. I was opening Bicini, I wasn't afraid to ask questions. You know, I went around and said, I don't know how to do this. What do you think? You know, I was just super humble <laughs> in the beginning. You know, I didn't come from owning a rental house before. I mean, I had the idea came, I had lenses in another rental house in Brazil. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew a little bit of how that worked. And then I was invited to own this other company in Brazil, but I just didn't think that like being in Brazil was going to be helpful for me. And with gear, the idea was because I wanted to offer gear to women, minorities, and people who normally don't have access. Because I feel like that's why I suffered more. And I mean, I love size, but at the time, like the CP2s, they weren't like just better lenses, but I was always shooting with those while the guys were shooting on cook lenses. Mm-hmm. So the first idea of Bicini was to open a rental house with amazing lenses that we would Give it to the people, even when they were starting, when they didn't have a lot of budget. And now we see some of our clients from five years ago, you know, that had a thousand dollar budget. Now they have five thousand dollars, you know, mm-hmm. but still shooting with the same thirty thousand dollar lens.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. Going back to your career as cinematographer, I know you said it slowed down a bit, but if You could shoot anything in the world, like, let's just put it out there. Like, what is your ideal job? If you had all the opportunities in the world and anything to choose, what would you choose and why? I mean, I still teach about doing live concerts
2: because Mm -hmm. I I love music. And, you know, I just love the combination of cameras, music and that rush. So someone hired me to shoot a Bad Bunny concert. I'll be very excited (laughs) about throwing that in the universe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Out in the universe, Bad Bunny and Bianca, that'll happen. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, But also
2: like I'm becoming a business owner, you know, besides the lenses, I think I was also trying to find a more like routine for my life. Mm-hmm. And, but back then I didn't know how good that would be for me. Like, cause today I do think, you know, I live a bit of a healthier life. I'm able to pay more attention to myself. I think for me, having the structure of a job, it's more interesting for me than... I mean, being a freelancer is not easy, right? You all know. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have really the structure It's really tough to so mm-hmm. keep going and be healthy and take care of yourself. You have time for a thing.
1: Mm-hmm. What specifically brought about uh, this focus on work-life balance, and I think that's something we all struggle as us cinematographers. um, What really brought about that? Like, what's, did you have like an event or a moment where you're like, oh, you know, this is actually something super important, something I should give priority to. Just made made you like prioritize work-life balance a little bit more. (laughs) I think it was when I became a mom, you know, and
2: started a little bit when I got married because I'm like, well, if I keep traveling like that, like we're never going to see each other. But really when I became a mom, you know, I was like, wow, this person depends on me. Like, How am I going to go on this five-day travel job right now? And it's really tough to leave. And I really wanted to be present. You know, I really wanted to be a present mom. All moms are great, but, you know, sometimes you have to travel a lot and you're not there all the time. But I really wanted to be there step by step. I only have one kid. I really don't want to miss out on anything. And I do still some trips for work, you know, for Mm -hmm. trade shows. I also showed, like, a live concert in Portugal in eighteen. Uh, No, I think it was in 19. I still did some traveling. I for a Brazilian artist. So I think it it was that and also realizing that I wasn't really in control of my freelance life. Like I couldn't really get on a good schedule. That was healthy for me. But as far as learning, I I think I learned so much. And I think it's a mix of being a business owner and being back here in L.A. Mm -hmm. In Brazil, I really didn't feel connected to the industry on my Mm -hmm. days off. But, you know, here you can go to screenings, to events, like there's so much to do. The community is very strong, you know, being it, it's the ACFC or, you know, the ASC or even events in other rental houses or events from vendors. Like tonight there's a rental house agent meet up in a bar, you know, and I learn so much now with the lenses and the cameras by being on this side because I have the time and I have to do it, right? We have to learn. So we have to decide what are we going to buy? What are we not going to buy? What's best on this monitor? You know, I feel like when you're out there, sometimes you're just kind of go, go, go. Then you hear, mm-hmm. oh, this, this, this lens is great. And I'm like, okay, I'll try that. You know, and sometimes mm-hmm. you don't even have time to learn about a new lens. So also now being the rental house side, I feel a great responsibility to present the new lenses to the freelancers, Are out there and might not have had time to know about this all. Can
1: you talk a little bit more about the events you have there and why it's important to have these sort of events? Because you just hosted an event with Jay Holben about how to choose lenses. I was there and I thought that was really helpful, just the amount of information lowdown we got that day. And I've just seen that a lot of rental houses in general are opening a lot up to a lot more workshops like that. And I think that's. It's great outreach. So can you talk a little bit about that and your experience with that and how that plays into your business ethos, I guess?
2: Yeah, I think our first events we started doing were lens events. I think the first one was the spherical lens event or the anamorphic, I can't remember. But essentially, we just opened the doors. We had a bunch of cameras with a bunch of lenses that people could come and look through the viewfinder. You know, and then you have people that never were able to see how a cuckoo lens look. And so it's about educating the people and giving access, you know, which is why I opened the Bicini, to give access for everyone on this amazing gear that's out there. So then follow the, you know, also the giving information and sharing information. So then we moved on to doing some of those more like lecture type workshops Um, I think we did one in the past with Les Allen, who was the chairman of Cook and he explained the story of Cook lenses. And we did a couple of workshops on second AC with Rachel Dusa. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really hard to learn those things and have access, you know, and when you're in a trade show, you kind of see. But I feel like it's a lot for socializing, but sometimes it's hard to see a quality of a lens the floor and like the fluorescent lights. (laughs) Yeah. And um, so we try to, you know, make a nice like lighting setup and have a bunch of lenses and then have people compare and talk and network so they can also meet each other, get jobs. I think because I also craved that in Brazil and I didn't have that at all, I wanted to do that here and like be cine is like live the cinematography life. Be bold, be creative, be cine. So it's like be in this cinematography world, you know, even when you're not on set. Mm-hmm. So you're always learning or at least connecting and being exposed to new things. And we recently did an amazing training with women in media. It was a loader utility training to try and mm-hmm. uh, help more women get into the union. We had union reps here and Lauren Pew and Rachel Dusa, they like shared 15 years of experience If you wanted to be a loader or utility, and it was truly amazing. Like, and this is not in film school, like, you can't get that information anywhere. So why keep the information? You know, if we really want to bring each other up, we got to share the information. And I think there's a big camaraderie now between ourselves because we all want to excel and we all want to lift each other up.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that the less we gatekeep, the more we can all grow and rise up together, I think.
2: Yeah, I definitely roll like that. So I think so far, so good.
1: Need to hire a cinematographer? No. Wait, what? And you're still listening to us? Oh, you're being supportive. We really appreciate that. We really do. What's that? How can you support us even if you can't hire us? Well... You can tell people who are looking for IDP to take a gander at our extensive 300-plus member database. Or you can always help us out with donations. If you want to help us out with, um, you know, monetary support, you can go to icfcfilm.com friends to donate. We're an all-volunteer-run group, so we rely on donations to keep the lights on. Not the literal lights we use, though. Production puts the bill on those. Although, if someone wants to send us a 10K with power for our next project... We
0: won't say no to that either. I kind of want to talk a little bit about from the business perspective. I know you graduated during kind of a recession, right? And then technically we're probably going into a recession. I was wondering if you have any advice for freelancers to how to navigate that. And if you see any trends in your business that show that like our industry is directly related to this or is it not?
2: Well, I mean, I think our industry is more scared. I mean, right now, we're also about to have a couple of strikes. Right. I think people are really scared about that. And the COVID situation was also really hard on people just because people couldn't afford to have COVID protocols. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so we saw, you know, luckily we had a big TV show during like the take of the pandemic, but they were the only ones shooting because no one else could afford Should have everyday testing when that was needed. And then I think right now, I mean, it's just be smart with the money, you know, save money Um, and maybe use this time for education. You know, I think that's what we're going to be gearing up for is. If it really slows down, just focus on education. And so we try to keep learning and gaining something during this time, because who knows what's going to happen, right? It's recession, it's trying, it's everything coming together at us, and no one really knows what's going to happen. And 2021 was super busy. Mm -hmm. 2022 was a bit less busy because it was just 2021 wasn't realistic. You know, it was all the work that didn't get done in 2020. And I think everyone was really hopeful for this year, but it's kind of a big incognito right now. Right.
1: Mm, Yeah. Who knows? I think we're
2: going to see a lot of independent projects maybe getting off the ground if those people were smart enough to fundraise their things before. It's a union job no one really knows what's going to happen, but there's definitely, you know, we see commercials cutting their budgets, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, or commercials, not even brands, not even shooting commercials anymore. And just doing social media, you know, everyone is on the same boat. So I think focus on learning and, you know, not giving up.
0: Yeah. And I, I think that's actually great advice. And to pivot from there, you've seen the industry grow. Like you said, you started with the red one. I remember that camera would overheat. I had problems. Yeah. Um, how how have you seen the industry grow and change and what's your expectation for where cinematography goes since you're kind of so in the know with you know all these provi- producers and like these you know equipment manufacturers like where do you see cinematography going what's new in the future
2: well it's it's a big new panel now i feel like when i was opening BC was when like the full frame lenses were coming out which i was like yep. okay so before, you know, there was a small pool of lenses to choose from, kind of. You know, I had a mm-hmm. mushroom, Delta Primes, Downs Museums, Kukas Spores, Kukas Fives. But then <laughs> and it was right when I was opening Messina, like, oh, now we have full frame lenses. Oh so now like which way am I gonna go? So I kind of went into the full frame world because I'm like, oh, that's the future, right? Mm-hmm. And it took a few years, I think, for full frame to really pick it up as far as rentals, honestly. And then it really picked up. And then now the Alexa 35, which is the new Super 35 camera, I feel like now some people are giving again Super 35 a chance. So I think now it's kind of this divided world. But, you know, I think TV is really fully committed to full frame. At least that's the trend that I see. Uh, And maybe that's because they shoot fast. They sometimes are in stages. So the shallow depth of field is really important to them you know mm-hmm. so i think now both formats are kind of gonna be here forever but you know there's also film kind of coming back uh which is yeah. exciting yeah you know i see a lot is there are a lot of
0: demand for super 16 cameras you know sr3s or 416s or something to come back yeah
2: there is we, we are trying to get our first couple sr3s because you know mm-hmm. Just is, you need the maintenance. You need, yeah. now we're ready. Yeah. But we definitely had to say no to a few jobs because we didn't have. And like the houses that have been around for a longer time, they still have the film cameras from
0: mm-hmm.
2: Worth mm-hmm. used. Mm-hmm. And then they got put aside and now they're reviving them. Um, but when I opened, be seen in 17. Was, Nobody was. <laughs> so, so I didn't really go that route, but we're definitely going to start going that route as well just to give filmmakers those options. So I think just now the options are so vast and there's so many new lens manufacturers as well. You know, before yeah. it was the main players, now they're like smaller, more affordable lenses which some are pretty decent. Some, you know, you're going to get what you pay for. The paintbrushes <laughs> are so many right now. So I think mm-hmm. it's important to keep and I think that's why it's good to like come to our events, and for us, important to do these events so we can keep people up to speed of what's even available. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 hard to keep up. You know, it's like there's a lot of there's a lot to read, there's a lot to to pay attention to nowadays. Yeah, so I think the events are great. That's that's. um Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot,
2: <laughs> right? And like I mean, that everyone reads the American Stomatographer magazine. But a lot of times, you know, the new items you don't know what they are and
1: Yeah. I mean, even I just saw that you guys did the test with the Blackwing skins and like it was such a thorough test that um well I, I ended up printing with you guys for the last project. I was like, That's all I need to because like I don't have really time to go really fully test those and that gets such a thorough test just to be able to act, even access that I think is really great on itself as well so I think that's that's really helpful yeah maybe
2: that's a good idea for you know when it's slow like reach out to your rental house and offer to do a test like we want to yeah. do those tests but also we're busy so we also need help of our clients to do this test with us so that's I think also a good idea of when it's slow mm-hmm We'll keep testing. Yeah, Cause, I like testing.
1: Yeah, because when you're
2: when you're busy, you never have time for that stuff.
1: No, and yeah, it's helpful just keeping a library of them anyway.
2: Yeah, and I don't know what do you guys think for the future as cinematographers. You know,
1: oh, I for me, I don't know. I I don't know if it's the future necessarily, but. I've been dabbling a lot or like reading a lot about virtual production and training, learning a little bit of Unreal Engine, um, but also talking um, what Tim King is doing actually with image-based lighting. I think that's kind of where things might be going or I, where I want things to go. I think there's a lot of versatility in that and a lot of ways that can be used really creatively. Mm. Um, so that's where I personally think, think things Yeah, are going. that's
2: a whole other world that... But- I yeah. actually did that, you know, when I was shooting, I didn't really tap too much in it. I mean, I had to do with any D walls from a live concert, but yeah, in a different way. But I feel like, yeah, that's the part that I would love to learn more, actually. Yeah. Too.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, Unreal Engine it was actually one of the things I was kind of messing around with a lot during the pandemic because uh, I just had a lot of dead time. And like the job I was at was like just learn stuff. So um real Engine was one of the things I was just learning. And like even just in terms of like pre-visualization uh, and what you can do to like maybe plan camera moves or like plan lighting and stuff like that. There's some really interesting possibilities there, too. So Yeah.
2: Yeah. With virtual production, you know, things are a bit more controlled. I think also everyone wants, you know, a better work-life balance, you know. Yeah. Not want to be out there for 14 hours or even 12 hours yeah if you can be on a stage where things are more controlled instead of being out in the field yeah uh, where you can shoot more with less time you can have
0: golden hour for eight
1: hours yeah yeah (laughs) exactly
2: but that's the future too um i mean i see a lot of our clients still on like 15 hour days and it's just not manageable you know and but there's being like People end up getting overtime and they like their money, but then, like, they don't have a life. And then Mm -hmm. accidents, it's not worth it. And then you can't really be a parent if you're doing 15-hour days. Yeah. If you're doing eight, then, you know, you you might get home for bedtime or at least for breakfast. Right. This for giving a kiss, (laughs) you know, if you're on 15-hour days, it's pretty harsh. So I hope those conditions out there also get better. Mm -hmm. And people can be there for their partners, for their families and not be burned out also on the weekend that they can't do anything because they work so hard. So maybe the virtual production also is a bit of an answer to that
1: love what we've been focusing on in this interview what about the angle we've been taking have you found it illuminating help us power our community by going to icscfilm.com slash friends and making a donation today we're an all-volunteer group and your support will help us keep our website rolling our events lit and our podcast honey okay maybe the last one's free but we do need your help for everything else and don't forget to subscribe Do you have advice that you would have liked to have when you were starting out? Like something you would have loved to know? Never be afraid to ask for stuff. (laughs) If
2: you're starting, you know, budget, just ask. You know, if the rental house has it and they are nice, they will help you. I feel like I was always afraid to ask for more and needed to be in the budget. And now that I'm on the other side, you know, I just, I do encourage people to ask for it because, you know, there's availability, people who are always willing to help. At least we are, um a mm. rental house if we have availability. So I wish I had asked for more when I was starting and not just like, oh, yeah, okay. I should move this, fine. You know,
1: is there any set of lenses or lenses or um, that? You have a particular affinity to, like, ones you really, really like, just in general? Well, we have this one lens that's just a 50 mil,
2: but it's an Ingenue. It's called Ingenue M1. It's a prime lens that was rehoused by Zero Optic. Mm-hmm. It was originally a surveillance lens in oh. the bench metros that they found, like, 10, mm-hmm. 17 of them. And then... Alex from Zero Optic, he rehoused them and I just love that lens. It's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's really nice, like rainbow flare. It's just a 50, but you know, you could mix and match with other lenses. And then I really love the Cooke Pancros, and I love all the Angelus Jones just because they, you know, they're your workhorse. You can yeah. have like a classy look. You can never really go wrong with them.
0: I, full disclosure, I was an intern for Bianca, so I love b <laughs> Yeah,
1: full disclosure, I rent equipment from Bianca. So <laughs> yeah. big Bianca fans here.
2: <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, Zakina was part of our beginning. And yeah, we now almost to a bigger space. We have more people. But I hope that we still offer the same comfort and service and if we ever are not, please let me know, okay? We are also only, we need people to tell us when, when we're doing something wrong. You know, sometimes yeah. you can get on a path that you don't even realize. So uh, I love honesty and mm. friendship and community. And, you know, I think that's what, you know, being an immigrant is always hard because your family and your childhood friends are not here. But, mm. are, you know, our clients, the Bisini community, the cinematography community, it's really what keeps me going and Mm. what makes me happy here.
1: Okay. So I got one last question for you before we close everything off. And it's actually more of a three pronger. So what's your favorite movie? What's your comfort movie? And what is the movie that has influenced your cinematography the most or influenced you as a cinematographer the most and why?
2: Okay. (laughs) So let's see. I think that, (laughs) Number one and number three are the same because I always go back to Emily Poulin. Mm. Because when I saw that movie, I don't know, I saw it and it's beautiful and it also made me think, oh, like, I want to be doing this, you know.
1: Yeah.
2: And the colors and how the story was told. That movie really sticks out to me still until now. And I don't know if there's any other one that is, like, super important, I mean, cinematography-wise, I no, was like, oh, you know, impressive for like tense labyrinth. Also, mm-hmm. very important. I think in my cinematography career of being like, wow, oh, this is amazing, like, mm-hmm. and just more of like impressive, you know, all just impressive and beautiful. But I think Amelie was is my favorite movie and my favorite it, and what brought me to want to learn cinematography more.
1: And what's your comfort one? Like the one that you will watch when you're sick in bed and you just need to feel good. Like chicken soup for the yeah. soul. And then like com,
2: um, honestly. Like anything that's funny and cute and romance. I don't know if you can think about anyone specifically. But I also love like music, movies. Mm. I was just, well, I mean, it's not really a movie, but it feels like a movie, but it's more of a TV show that just out now uh Daisy Jones and the Six. The Six, um, yeah.
0: yeah.
2: I just ate like three episodes last night. <laughs> <laughs> because it's like a love story, it's music, it you know, it's everything together. Um, share so a that stuff.
1: Anything you wanna to touch on that we didn't touch on? You know,
2: um I love the ICFC group. It also has helped me a lot to connect with different cinematographers and you all inspire me so much. You know, I'm not like 100% in the cinema, cinematography path anymore, but I feel like I need still live that dream through you guys, you know, with your mm-hmm. projects, like consulting for your projects when you need help choosing here. So it still makes me feel a part of it. And that's really fulfilling.
1: Awesome. Uh, and where can people find you both physically because you own a rental house and virtually? So we're here in Cover City, Buckingham Parkway, California. And our website
2: is bcne.com. We're also on Instagram, bcne. Follow us. We post about our events there. You can also sign up for our newsletter through our website, which is bcine.com. And my personal Instagram is bhalpern. And yes, yeah, if we haven't met, I hope you follow me and get in touch and come to BCine.
1: We'll take care of you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Bianca. We really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much, Bianca. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Thank you all. Okay, that was great. Um, Bianca was awesome. I've, I've been renting through B-Cine for a while and Bianca's, as she said, I, I always ask and she's really helped me out with a lot of my projects. A lot of my projects, 100% honestly, would not look the way they do if I didn't have access to the equipment that Bianca has helped me out with. So,
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. I've also rented many times. And like I said, my last year of grad school in 2017, I think 2018, I was her intern for a quarter and it was such a like amazing experience to just like work in that environment and also to like see all these women DPs come in. But also it like boggles my mind, like it really like to like have no rental, exp- like no experience like that and to come to Los Angeles and be like, hey, I'm going to open this store and like I wouldn't even know where to consign things like, yeah, like like where to like create that, you know, and be like, oh, now I have like 20 different sets of lenses, like high end fancy glass. Like, it's just wild to me to just like have that initiative and like that personality. You know, I think that's so awesome. And like to be driven like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right to just go and say, I'm just going to open a rental house. It just takes so much guts and courage and yeah I
0: but also to care so much and create an environment that is so needed you know yes. like you really need something like b like it's amazing to go somewhere where you feel safe and you know comfortable to ask questions and sometimes you know yeah. you go to these like I don't want to name names but like bigger places rental yeah. house you kind of feel lost right you kind of feel just like oh who are you you know
1: yeah I was recently at a rental house and like I felt I asked for prep and they basically made me just pick up and like, I felt very much like I was just rushed out of there. And I was like, Oh, that that sucks. I, you know, like I really won't, Give me 30 minutes with the equipment just to even make sure that everything's like working, you know, and And sometimes
0: it's like a budget thing in L.A., right? Your budget isn't quite up to standard for like a big, you know, big show that maybe is prepping next door. And then because of that, you're like, oh, well, this is less important. But it's like, yeah, we would also like to look and make sure, like you said, like the gear is working, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, just uh, yeah, literally, I I prepped in my car. I opened up all the cases, and I was like, okay, all the cables are here, and I'm just like, I this is why am I doing this? Like, I'm 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 maybe I'm just used to having like the full time to do that, and like coming in and like you know, it's such a simple little thing, but like. The first thing they offer me is like, "Do you want a cup of coffee?" And I'm like, uh, a, "And know. I'm like, and I'm like, I yes, know. yes, thank you, thank you. I I do need the coffee. Uh, I'll take ten minutes, drink the coffee, and then prep um, and just do it at my pace. One of the things they've been doing recently that I like it helps me out so much as a cinematographer. And again, it's something that I would have never thought to ask. They now have project a uh, lens projector, mm-hmm. and they've been. Um, I've been offered to project the lenses I'm renting. And I'm like, yes, I want to see these lenses projected. I want to see all these like little technical bits to it. And like, again, just even having that service and that, like being able to engage with a gear at a deeper level is so helpful. Just, because it's, it's, it's really changed the decisions I've made on set, to be completely honest. um, Even like uh, there's one music video I was going to shoot at a four because I shoot everything at a four. I'm a little bit stubborn about that. But yeah. then I got the lenses projected because, again, they offered. I realized, oh, no, the aberrations of the lenses that I was picking up, they really are at its best when you're at a two or a two eight, you know, like and I wanted those aberrations in the... um. In the image, so I was like, "Oh, that changes the way I am going to shoot this, this, this thing." And just, and that was something I got offered at prep, and I think that's very unique.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you kind of nailed it when you were talking about gatekeeping. You know, it's like it's not something you think about, but absolutely in this industry, there is gatekeeping, right? There are people trying to keep people out of it. There are trying to keep people from having access to certain gear, certain equipment, you know, Um, and why, you know, we're all, we all have to prop each other up, especially, you know, ICFC members like us, we need to like work together in that way to like really help each other out. Cause.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, because again, I've pitched for jobs in which they're like, well, why should I hire you if, you know, as Bianca said, there's a bunch of, of guys that can do it just as well. And I'm like, well, or come with a camera. That's that's my favorite when <laughs> you get threatened with that. Um, and I'm like, well, what you're paying for when you hire any cinematographer is not the gear they have. It's not. It's the experience and the point of view we come and bring to that project. Because that's that's really what what you're hiring us for. And I think being secure and confident in that, you know, like we have different points of view and that's okay. And like lenses, we're different paintbrushes, you know, like, and so like gatekeeping, me knowing more about a lens or you knowing more about a certain camera is not going to make you or I better than each other. It's just, you know, we should all have access to all that information and then like, be able to use those tools to be the best at any particular job. So, yeah, I don't know. Gatekeeping seems silly to me.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I think there's a long history of gatekeeping. I think, you know, you could stem, like, a lot of, like, why women aren't in camera department yeah to physicality, maybe. You know, yeah. like, cameras were so heavy back then, but, like, mm-hmm. now it's like, yeah, you know. I personally don't love doing handheld for 12 hours a day. But, you know, I know a lot of badass women DP that do. And yeah. are, there is no issue there, you know. Um, so I don't know. Times are changing and hopefully for the better. And let's let's all hope for a great women's movement. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. it's funny we we that we are recording this on International Women's Day. And yeah. we're not sure when you're listening to this, but this is when this was recorded. And I think yeah bianca and b cine and the way that's changing the landscape i think is really important and something we just need right now absolutely
0: yeah and something to focus on you know and i think that hopefully future episodes we're gonna get through this and we're gonna kind of hone in this this topic you know i think this is kind of the core of what we're doing here Thank you so much for listening today. Please follow us on Instagram at the ICFC.
1: You can also reach
0: us by writing to ICFCpodcast at gmail.com.
1: This episode was produced by Emilia Mendieta Cordova, Fabian Housepian, Akina Van De Senda Bonet, and Barbie Lung.